Our scripture this morning comes out of the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 18, and then we're going to skip ahead a few verses to verses 28 through 32. Again, Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 18, and then verses 28 through 32. going to a village called Emus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, pour out your spirit upon this, your word, and make it be for us the word of life, that we might be people of life. And now, God, hide me behind your cross, that your message of love and grace might shine through for the redemption of the world through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Rick was 34 years old when I first met him. And that first Sunday in, in my very first church, I, I could tell that he had some very serious underlying health problems. The extremely heavy doses of steroids had, had created uh, what is called a moon shape to his face. He had very little hair on, on his head, and his, and his skin had an had an ashy, uh, very flaky look to it. It was his wife who introduced me to Rick on that very first Sunday because Rick could not hardly communicate, hardly at all, for I I, I learned that he had had a a stroke a couple of years before. He had had a, uh, he had been undergoing treatment for leukemia, and after undergoing a, a bone marrow transplant, Things had gone from bad to worse. Uh, the new bone marrow that was, that was now spread throughout his body was causing his body to reject his own skin. And so he would form lesions on his body, all over his body. His skin would, would flake off. He had lost all of his hair, and it, it absolutely would not grow. He had open sores, and then, and then finally he had a stroke that had caused him, uh, well, it had taken away much of his ability to, to speak. So there I was, a 26-year-old pastor, and who was a husband and a father to two young children, trying to, trying to come up with words to say to a man who was also a, a, um, a husband and a, and a father of two young children. Over the next 18 months, I spent a lot of time with Rick 
in the hospital. In fact, I, I, it seemed like, well, I was, again, I was, I was brand, new to, uh, brand new to ministry, and I spent a lot of time here in Oklahoma City traveling back and forth between Woodward and here in Oklahoma City. In fact, just a few blocks here from our church at OU Medical Center, I spent hour after hour after hour in the hospital with Rick, and, and um, as he was experiencing, uh, continued to experience a number of different, uh, number of different procedures, and I, I spent hour after hour uh, holding Rick's hand and holding his wife Kelly's hand and pleading, pleading with them in prayer, but in spite of my inexperience in ministry, in spite of my um, in spite of my relative youth, I knew that the prognosis for Rick was, was not good. His, his wife, Kelly, told me that um, Rick, Rick always said from the very beginning he wanted, to grow, he wanted to live long enough to see their youngest graduate from high school. That was nine years away, and I knew that it was, that it was highly unlikely it was highly unlikely that that was going to happen, and I wasn't sure I wanted it to happen because Rick was in so much continual pain. Skin lesions and the open sores were becoming more and more common, and then the leukemia moved back into his bones and it entered into his spinal cord. In the middle of the night, three weeks before Easter, that year, I got a frantic call from Kelly, and she told me that Rick had died. And she asked me if I could come and come and tell her kids for her. Up to that point, as a pastor, it was the most difficult thing that I had ever done to tell two young children that their father had died. It was the hardest thing I'd ever done until three weeks later and Easter came. Now, this was not the smallest church that I have pastored, but it indeed was the closest knit church of any church that I have not only pastored, but also been around. This church was family. Unlike any other church I've, I've ever seen or any other church that I've, that I've ever been around. They were family and their beloved 36-year-old Rick had died. And I knew Kelly and the kids along with Rick's elderly father and the rest of his spiritual family would be in worship that Easter Sunday. And I brought a heaviness of heart to that Easter worship service. And we had extra chairs set up for that Easter worship service, although not as many as we had set up for, for Rick's funeral just three weeks before. But I knew, I knew that it would almost be standing room only in that small United Methodist Church. I had a sermon prepared, but I had no idea what I was going to tell these people. They were so full of despair, so full of pain, because our beloved Rick had died without answers to prayer. And I know that over the last 20 years, and even here today, many of us come to this service today with the same kind of despair. 
The same, the same kind of disappointment, the same kind of brokenness, the, the same kind of broken relationships that, that we were feeling back then. Some of us are, are, are teenagers and we're wondering how in the world we're going to continue on, not, not just in the midst of this coronavirus outbreak, but just simply how in the world are we going to continue on as teenagers? Some of us are experiencing a, a midlife crisis, and we're not exactly sure how we found ourselves in the, in the dead-end job that we have found ourselves in. It seems like we are just uh, there's just debt upon debt upon debt that's piled on top of us, and we wonder if we'll ever begin uh, to, to, to be thinking about retirement. And then, and then there are others of us that have, that have uh, started entering into those so-called golden years, but we've come to recognize that, that those golden years aren't quite so golden. Or it may be. It may be because of this coronavirus epidemic that, that we've experienced a, a job loss or we've experienced the uh, we've experienced our, 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 finey, our, our, our retirement funds have, have, have just simply dissipated and, and gone away. We, we've, we've looked at our, our 401ks and we recognize that we have 30% less than we had four weeks ago. And indeed may be that you're, you're bringing a heaviness because of, because of sickness or bringing a heaviness because of separation from loved ones bringing a heaviness of, uh, and, and, and there's pain and there's fear and there's disappointment and despair and it's the exact same emotions that those, those people, those, those two men who are walking on the road to Emmaus, it's the exact same things that they were experiencing as well. Today we're, we're completing our sermon series as we have been looking at the Apostles' Creed. Some of you haven't been with us this entire journey, and so we have been we have been looking about we've been looking at 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 the difference it makes when we say that we believe in God the Father. When we when we call God Father, it's as if we are we are saying that that this God, this this God of the universe, this this creator God, this almighty and omnipotent God is like our daddy. We have seen what it's like to, uh, to say that we believe in Jesus Christ as Lord. We believe in His birth. We believe in His life. We believe in His death and resurrection. We've been looking at how we have been called to believe in the Holy Spirit, how we have been called to believe in the, in the church universal and the, and the church triumphant. And now today, and, and now today we say that we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And I think that this may be the biggest statement of faith of all that we have said up to this point. I mean, it, it indeed is, is important for us to say that we believe in, in, in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We even believe in His, in his life and, and death and even resurrection. But when we say that we believe in our resurrection, when we believe in our eternal life, that's something even far different. It's astounding, almost an unbelievable statement of faith when we say that we believe, we stake our life on this, that there will be a resurrection, that there is eternal life. 
It's one thing to say that Jesus lived and died and even rose, to, rose from the dead, but it's a far another thing to say. Another thing to say that we believe and we stake our lives on this, that there is a resurrection of the dead and there is life everlasting and you and I are going to experience it. Those, Those two men walking along that road to Emmaus, they weren't quite so sure though. They had they had heard the stories. Indeed, they had heard the stories, and and more than likely, these two men, they had even been there for some of those those stories. They they were in that crowd that Palm Sunday. They were were in that crowd on Palm Sunday when Jesus came into Jerusalem, not not riding on on a white stallion as a conquering emperor, but instead he came riding on a on a donkey. Indeed, he was, he was saying that he was, a, he was a different kind of king. He was a different kind of savior. He wasn't necessarily going to be a political savior. You would have thought, you would have thought, and the crowd all thought that day when they began to, to wave those palm branches, they, as they began to put their coats on the ground, you, you would have, I mean, and, and they were hailing him as their king. Blessed is the one who comes in the name. This is the, this is the son of David. He is our king. You would, you would, have, you would have thought that, that Jesus then immediately would have gone to Herod's palace and taken his rightful place as, as the king of Israel. But instead, but instead he, he went to the temple and he, and, he, and he threw out the religious elite. That's not something that you would have thought a, a, new, a newly crowned king would have done. They were in the crowd that day as they were, as, as they were proclaiming him as, as, their, as their king. They had heard the, supper, they had heard the, the story of the, of the Last Supper, how Jesus had had that Last Supper with his disciples. They were, they were, they were going through all of, the, all of the liturgy, ancient liturgy of that of, of the Passover celebration, but Jesus did something different. He took that bread and, and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. And then he took that cup and said, this is a cup of a new covenant. A new covenant. They would have heard those stories. They would have heard the story how, how Jesus immediately left that supper after washing his disciples' feet, after showing them what he meant when he meant when he said, I have a new commandment that you love one another. He showed them that kind of love. They would have heard the story then how he immediately went to the garden and he asked his disciples, carry with me just a few hours longer. And he went alongside himself. And he began to pray with a loud voice, Lord, if this cup could pass from me, take it from me. But not my will, but your will be done. Indeed, they had heard the story how he was arrested that evening, being led by even one of his closest 12 followers. They, they had heard the story, likely, how he, was being, how, he, how, he was, how he had been put on trial and paraded before the Sanhedrin, how he had been paraded before Pilate, and Pilate found no reason, no reason at all 
to crucify this man, to, uh, to condemn this man. They were in the crowd. And Jesus asked, what should I do with this Jesus of Nazareth? Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. They all shouted. They likely were there. When Jesus was made to carry his own cross and he was nailed to the cross and lifted high. He was so close he could hear the shouts from the crowd as they spit upon him. They would have been there when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And indeed, they would have heard his last words, it is finished. And he breathed his last. As the crowd dispersed and the soldiers took down his body and handed it over to some of his disciples, they put it in the tomb. They, they would have known exactly what that meant. tomb was sealed. Oh, they, they too would have heard the rumors that, that some of the women had been to the tomb that, that they, on that Sunday morning and had found the tomb empty. They weren't exactly sure what in the, what in the world had, had happened. They had heard the rumors that possibly, just possibly, that he had come back to life as he said he would, but they couldn't, they couldn't come to believe it. They just couldn't come to believe it. They couldn't wrap their mind around how something unbelievable like that had occurred. So there they were in their misery, in their, in their brokenheartedness. All hope was lost. All hope was lost. They were full of despair, full of pain, full of fear, full of disappointment and brokenness just like, just like you and I. And then a stranger came and asked as they were walking along that, that road to Emmaus, a stranger came among them and asked them why they were so downtrodden. Why, why were their faces drawn with misery? Why were their why were their faces full of gloom, as different translations put it? All was lost, they said. Hopelessness surrounded them. Haven't you heard of all the things that have gone on? How Jesus of, of Nazareth was, was put to death. He was, he, he, he was killed on behalf, uh, at, at the hands of, of the conquering Romans. Their only hope in the world was, was dead and gone. He was finished. The, the funeral was over. The tomb was sealed up. And so they were going back to their own homes. They were, they were headed back to their old jobs, their, their old way of life. There was, there was nothing more to see. It was a seven-mile trip. It would have likely taken just a couple of hours and they didn't, begin, they didn't recognize him. And, and, and then he began to talk with them about, about all the things that the Son of Man must, must go and suffer this stranger among them. We find out that it's Jesus among them. The resurrected Jesus among them. Some wonder how they couldn't recognize him. Maybe indeed he looked differently. Or maybe, just maybe, again, they couldn't wrap their minds around it. 
They just simply couldn't come to believe that he had been resurrected. And again, he, he explained how the son, the son must suffer and die. And then as he broke bread, their eyes were opened, the scripture says, as he began to, as he took that bread and he blessed it and he gave it to them. It's the exact same words that we find in that last supper that he had with his disciples. Their eyes were opened and they recognized who he was and their lives changed forever. For you see, the, the brokenness that they brought with them, the pain and, and the despair and the hopelessness and the despondency and the very real sorrow and grief, it was all gone. It all vanished because Jesus Christ was alive. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. Absolutely Everything is changed because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our hopelessness, our despair, our despondency, our fear, our feelings of, uh, of loneliness, it all changes because Jesus Christ is alive. Somebody, I hope and pray, somebody is saying amen right there in front of your screens. It all changes Everything changes because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I stake my life on it. You know, they're, they're, they're time, from time to time I, I come across people that wonder why in the world someone would, would, become, a, would become a pastor. Why, why in the world would you do something like this? In fact, it's, it's often whenever I'm, I'm, I'm visiting with people that have no idea who I am, Normally, I don't tell them that I'm a pastor. I, I certainly don't lead off with that because normally that stops the conversation. But eventually, after I, after I get to know folks, I'll, I'll begin to tell them um, kind of what I do. And uh, those folks that are not people of faith, they just kind of look at me like, what? What in the, why? Why would you do something like that? And I have an opportunity to tell them because I believe it. I, I believe, I actually, I actually believe the things that we've been talking about today. In fact, not only do I believe it, but I have staked my life on it. Every bit of my life on it. Jesus Christ is alive and it changes absolutely everything. So 20 years ago, I showed up to that Easter worship service knowing that I was preaching to a congregation, a close-knit congregation that was incredibly heartbroken because their brother Rick had died. But I knew what I was going to say. It's all right. Not only is it all right, it's great news because we believe we believe that Rick is resurrected. We believe that he has eternal life. We believe because Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus Christ is alive in your life as well. You too are called to believe in the resurrection of the body and the life ever, everlasting. And it all comes about because Jesus Christ is alive. Would you bow with me? Lord, there, 
there are some who are tuning in today that have come with deep, deep doubts. Maybe this is just something that they always are forced to do, to come to, to, to Easter worship. They've been, they've been really excited this year. They didn't even have to wear that, that new tie that their wife got them. They didn't, have to, they didn't have to go out and, and find a, a, a new colorful dress this year. They could, they could come to worship where, however, they, however they wanted to this year. There's some who are joining us in worship that have not yet, have not yet thought through what it might be like to trust in Jesus, to fully affirm the, the power of the resurrection in our lives. Lord Jesus, come and enter into our lives. For those who think that they don't need you, come, convicting Holy Spirit. Come and help us all to know that you have come not to condemn, but you have come to save. Come, Lord Jesus, come and be our Savior. Come and be our Lord. Come and bring with you resurrection, bringing us from hopelessness and despair and disappointment and pain and brokenness to a life full of love and grace and freedom and liberty and life. Come, Lord Jesus, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.